Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, happy to report that we are no longer recording at our at-home studio, oh, yes. which you might be able to On hear. On the road. The ambience is slightly different, but we have made it all the way to Washington State in the vicinity of Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier, which we've spent the last two days touring and enjoying. I must say that I am so delighted to be off the <laughs> healing hospital list and my we won't talk about that again. handicap parking pass is going <laughs> oh, to expire, expire. That's at the end of problem. the month, which has... Have we um, abused it? Well, kind of. <laughs> it, it's not How uncommon, especially in parking more pass. active areas, to find that the only parking places that are left uh. are the handicapped ones because... People who are handicapped can't go on hiking trails and stuff. So there have been a time or two when we have been in national parks near major metro areas that have been vastly oversubscribed with people loving the park that we have used my pass. But and we may keep it in hand just in case we need it again. Don't turn us in. So here we are traveling in the off-season. You are listening to episode 150 of the RV Navigator for October 2017. Whew, 150 episodes. Probably because we didn't know um, that we could leave, we we <laughs> left our home with a vague notion of an itinerary and what we would like to see, which yes. was ma- mostly focusing on the national parks that we missed when we were out here two winters ago because they were still socked in with snow. We made very few reservations, which has worked out very well, and that's what we have come to expect in the off season, which we're the lucky shoulder season to travelers. Travel but I have been amazed and appalled by how <laughs> how much we have had to struggle to get oh. our loose goals met because um, I was not expecting the impact of all the forest fires yes. that we've encountered out here and the weather is the weather and when you are in the mountains, I mean there are places that we have gone <laughs> that already had snow before we got there. And, and you remember that we did this trip in the spring we and we had to go up the coast of, the, was west so of the United States because there was such snow inland and now as we head south and are here in the, our most northerly point in the trip, we are going to encounter snow again. So we are too late in the season, then we were too early in the season, so I guess the only time to travel here is in high season. Yeah, and, and then I would think you would need reservations, because yeah. where we are right now, we're about equal distance between Seattle and Portland, and it's busy even during the week. Um, but the campground here is not busy. No, but you can't count on just floating around, which is what I like to do. Yes, we can. Well, you can't because of the weather and stuff. But we did it fine yesterday. Yesterday, the past two days have been just Perfect. spectacular mountain scenery weather. The blue, the clear blue, skies that I right. expect when I come out yes. west. And warm temperatures, even in the little bits of snow that we're still oh, laying around. And it was just gorgeous. Reflections of mountains and lakes and little snow peaks on the top and the beginning of fall colors as we... Oh, 
we got some great pictures. So I guess I should say that I feel fortunate that we don't have a schedule, and there have been some times where we have stayed one more day or exactly. or paused before we went to the next place till right. the fires right. went out. Yeah. Um, and it's nice to have the flexibility to do that, and I feel very lucky that that's our lifestyle. People in restaurants and even at campgrounds are always wishing us a, a good vacation. <laughs> and we, to correct them. We just say thanks. <laughs> But we want to say this is our life, and we're lucky to have this life. Yes, indeed. Uh, We are here on a rainy day, so this is our rainy day activity. Um, And, you know, one of the things I think that we think about is that what would we do on a rainy day in a small, teeny, tiny Class B or a small Class something or other RV? What do you do on rainy days? And there are going to be rainy, cold days that you're going to encounter. And if you're thinking about going into the RV lifestyle, you have to think about not only traveling with your RV, but living in it on bad weather days. And we don't really have much trouble with that because we have lots to do and it's comfortable indoors. And on a rainy day like today, that's good. Yeah, I'm looking across the way at a man sitting next to his small trailer under a little makeshift tarp. Uh-huh. Um, and he's got to be kind of chilly because it's in the low 60s, I think, here today. I don't even think it's 60. Yeah. That's a problem when you're traveling in a smaller RV. And that's why we like the big RV. And frankly, we have had not had much trouble finding campgrounds and traveling. Let's point out some of the places that we have been so far. We have been to COEs. Corps of Engineer Parks, where we can stay for $9 for hookups. County parks, we have state been, parks. <laughs> we have been to several state parks, and we have been to national parks. We have boondocked. We have had 30 amp. We have had 50 amp. A county fairground. We stayed in a county fairgrounds along with all the flies. Oh, <laughs> we killed... <sighs> Something you have to buy is a bug zapper. <laughs> the thing that looks like a tennis racket that uh, has little batteries in it that zap the flies. We killed over 200 flies, and I'm not exaggerating. Because it was a county fairgrounds, and I think or the flies were expecting lots of horses and things, but we were the, virtually the only ones there. And it was kind of cold And they there. came to visit us. And it was kind of warm <laughs> and in the And we did home. not expect that. Oh, yeah. so, the, the, the day we left there, and drove for about weird. five hours. And I spent the whole five hours with the electric plus water. And I felt like I made no impact at all, even though the sink was full of corpses by the time we got. The point being that with a 43-foot motorhome towing, that we have stayed in every possible accommodation. We stayed in Dinosaur National Park, National Monument, in their boondocking campground, and we ran the generator. We stayed in, as she says, the fairgrounds. We stayed in COEs. Very nice and, and convenient. And right now we're staying in a KOA because it's conveniently located to these two great mountainous national monuments and or parks. I would um, say the bigger problem that we have choosing sites, which isn't so mm, bad out here, is getting a clear shot to the southern <laughs> sky well, for the satellite look. dish on our roof. Yes, we always um, look for the satellite But in terms dish. of finding a place to put the rig, it really hasn't been too challenging. And I know that there are people out there who feel that they have to go small in order to go all the places that they want to go. And I would say there are probably some national forest campgrounds. Well, there are places are, that we can't stay but there are places that they can't stay right yeah Yeah. oh yeah there's been quite a few places that we would be too big to get into but that doesn't mean in the same area that we can't find a nice campground and spacious with uh, all of the conveniences that we're looking for so 
Uh, we've been pretty happy with, with that and not having to make reservations more than a day or two in advance, which is really nice. We <laughs> we stayed right along the Columbia, Ri- Columbia River in the Columbia River Gorge in a state park, which is a very nice location, to jockey around to find the right site to get the satellite. But, uh, to get rid of those darn trees. <laughs> Most people, when you come in, they say, oh, we've got this nice treed area over here that you'll love. And we say, nope, we want the wide open spaces. And the other thing that has just been phenomenal since we've been out here is that we had a chance to meet so many of you. Yes. Obviously, this is a wonderful place to camp, and many of you have beat us to it and taken the time to track us down and, in some cases, share a meal or share a day. Yes. Um, And we have learned so much from those of you who live out here about things to do and places to see and. It's just been a ball getting to meet you all, and we thank you very much for spending the time with we've us. Had, we've had a, an amazing number of volunteers. Not volunteers. <laughs> yes, you're volunteering. We've had an amazing <laughs> number. <laughs> Would you volunteer to meet us, please? And kidnap us for the day. <laughs> or let's have dinner. Uh, but I think our phrase, the uh, we'll see you in a campground near us, has really been taken to heart because people have actually... Uh, seen us in a campground near us and others have been very close that we just couldn't quite make the connection timing is everything in rocky mountain national park we met three couples Mm -hmm. very nice had dinner had great conversation and found out that we are not the only ones who travel no no (laughs) (laughs) when we're at home with people who mostly stay at home we feel like weirdos but there are a lot of you if we're weirdos there are a lot of you that are weirdos i guess if you're listening to us you're you're one of the people who likes to travel because these folks well not only just in the wheels under their their travels but they also international travelers internationally too. too which of course we love to do also but this has been a great experience we took a nice tour of the columbia river gorge with which, doreen which just calmed Nick. down from the forest fires oh, that almost destroyed well, this it is, this has been a problem yeah that has. we just these natural wonders and of course one of the places we're going to is yosemite where the big rocks <laughs> just fell off the face of it <laughs> where el capitan just collapsed <laughs> and we're sitting here and, and we have waited years and years to go to Yosemite and now yeah I don't think we've been there since the 70s and I'm not sure we'll make it this time either fingers crossed yes indeed Um, this trip has been kind of reliving past experiences and we have been to some of these places in some cases in the 70s in the 70s 40 years ago or more and so we are kind of reliving our past experiences and uh, what's your (laughs) how's your memory (laughs) I think my memory is not too bad of the things that I remember, but there are a lot of things that I totally forgot about and a lot of things that have totally changed. Yes. They've built new roads. (laughs) They've built new visitor centers. In lodges. In lodges. And um, where we were two days ago in Mount St. Helens, when we were here in the 80s, you couldn't get very close to it because the area had been totally destroyed. And since then, they built about 20 more miles of road in toward the volcano, what's left of it, and built a beautiful visitor center overlooking the caldera, is that what yeah, I should say, yeah. that wasn't here when we were here well, before. Well, the, the slide so. area. Mount St. Helens, as you probably know, is spectacular because it blew up in 1980 and had one of the biggest eruptions that we have recorded. And they have been using it as a scientific experiment ever since because it has had many, many eruptions ever since then, which I didn't know. They followed the 
This whole Lava area flow. is very volatile. Yeah, but Washington they, State has five active volcanoes. Yeah, but active doesn't mean that they've erupted. It means that they could erupt at any, could, any time. Yes, yes. And but, there are earthquakes but, here all the time. But Mount St. Helens has erupted, and of course, it majorly changed the way. Is majorly a word? Well, depends who you are. <laughs> <laughs> it made major changes in the look of Mount St. Helens. And, of course, the the visitor center takes uh, advantage of that. Twenty years ago when we were here, they talked mainly about the problems that it caused for the people living around here and the ash in the air and how that caused uh, people to have major problems. Covered everything, made the skies black. It was really something. And then went right next to it, we have Mount Rainier, which is pristine and a national park. And you can see what the mountain, what a mountain would look like. Should look like. Should look like. Before yeah. its top blew off. Before its top blew off, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So uh, what, which are the parks uh, were you most surprised it had changed? I would say I was taken aback by both Rocky Mountain and Rainier because there were so many people there. I have memories of a much more pristine, being alone with nature kind of experience when I've gone to national parks, which I guess is good in a way because that means that more people are out there enjoying them and seeing them mm -hmm. and that they're important in people's lives. But I would like to be able to go to a lodge without having to use my handicapped parking pass. <laughs> <laughs> you use a handicapped parking habits. <laughs> but I, I was surprised at Rocky Mountain National Park. I think that was one of the first parks that we visited as a married couple and in our travels out west. And it's much smaller than I remember it. It's kind of like going back to your old grade school, which was a <laughs> big building when you were a little kid. And, yeah, I agree. It was. We spent... More than enough time there, unless yes, we wanted to do four more days hiking, or so, yeah. because it's not that big. Yeah, yeah. We had good weather, but uh, the area around there just is not that big. I was surprised to learn from our listeners that there are what what twenty seven hundred volunteers, and at Rainier too, it said over two thousand. Two thousand volunteers to help people, and that the one of the major hiking areas, which we had a great time hiking. Uh, has a large parking lot, but they have to have shuttle buses to bring people to the parking lot. Because and, it fills up right away. And that was at Bear Lake, I think. Yeah, at the end of the road. At the end of the road. And that is really kind of changes the pristine experience, although I didn't find the trails to be all that bad. Well, anywhere where you would want to linger for more than 20 minutes to take a picture tends to fill up. It makes yeah. sense. When you're on a hike, yeah, you're going to leave your time. car there for hours. And we did two fairly long hikes there, and so our car was parked there for quite a while. But, well, I guess when you plan to go to a national park, you gotta you got to make plans. I don't know. I guess that's the way it goes. See, we drove in for the day. We stayed just outside of the national park. At a in Estes Park. In Estes Park, right. Uh, we did went in for some hikes and for driving through the park on the 50 or so mile an hour mile road. And by the way, we drove our motorhome across the Alpine Road Alpine before they close it for the winter. Oh. And it was the first time, and we've driven all the way to Alaska and back, as you know, um, and we've always been hitched together, the motorhome pulling the Jeep. Yeah. And this was the first time that we separated ourselves, having driven that road already with the Jeep and seen some of the fairly sharp switchbacks. It seemed to be a good idea. But we were able to drive across, no problem, plenty of energy. 
But on this trip, we've kind of taken it easy. Uh, we've practiced the three three dash three rule, which is which is. We either stop at 3 o'clock or 300 miles, whichever comes first. <laughs> so although we've driven 1,900 or 2,500 miles. It took us a long time to get here. Well, we have taken it slowly, which is nice. And and Rocky Mountain National Park is only 900 miles from home. So we took our time and spent the afternoon lollygagging around at nice campgrounds. Um, I hope that you can do this also. I think that's the, the real way to travel. I don't like to get tired tra- uh, driving, and uh, there's no real reason to put... 600 miles under the wheels Unless you have to get back to work. Unless you have to get back to work. So I hope that you can take the time to do that, too. We've adopted on a permanent full-time basis the the 3-3 rule. Also known as stop and smell the roses. Stop and smell the roses. That's us. So we have made it out here. Our longest day of driving has been only 350 miles. And that was only a couple days ago when we came to the Columbia Gorge. (laughs) And the Columbia Gorge, you know, we waited and waited. We had listeners... uh, strategically stationed <laughs> sending us daily sending reports us daily reports about, about, the forest fires. about the forest fires because that was really staggering forest fires out here and we're happy to say that the forest fires are pretty much out although they said 36 percent two or three days of rain um and and but the smoke has gone away too because we were worried in, even in the smoky mountains i'm sorry <laughs> even in the rocky mountains we were we suffered from the smoke so in the columbia gorge you can certainly drive up and down the gorge now and and look down and see the beautiful river and the steep hillsides um, and it's but, not obvious that there are a lot of big fires but old route 30 which is what you drive to see all the waterfalls was closed when we were there and it said for an indefinite period of time. I'm not sure if things were damaged or if they were waiting for the fire to be totally out. I would say we saw a lot, but we and, didn't see everything that I well, wanted to Well, in 84, see. the major expressway, expressway that goes down the gorge was closed while we were there uh, at one, in one direction, uh, a little bit further on, but by the time we left, it was open. But that area was truly devastated. To the tourist unpracticed eye, Yes, you could see some burn places, burn places, but you can see that in all, in many many places. But apparently, in the back country there, that uh, the fires were much more devastating. And we talked to a a fruit farmer there who was very worried because the fire had come within a, a mile of their house and they were evacuating. And oof, those Terrifying. fires are just are just bad news. And uh, you can't go see many of the traditional attractions in the Columbia Gorge. Like Multoma Falls. But the river's open, and Hood River is uh, a town that's <laughs> dying for business now because they have had their tourist season cut short, which is really a shame. So uh, if you get a chance to visit that area, it still is beautiful. I mean, uh, that I think of the t- things that we've visited so far, well, I don't know, that... <laughs> Uh, the the Columbia River Gorge is really took me back as being spectacular. With Mount Hood standing behind it. Exactly. It strikes me that because Mount Hood was never a national park, it doesn't have the national profile that Mount Rainier does. I found it equally spectacular yes. and very nicely developed. It has many ski resorts on its flanks, for those of you who like to do that in the winter. That's an area 
area that as a Midwesterner I had never even heard of till we came out here the first time, uh-huh. and it's a spectacular mountain as well. Yes, so we've visited Mount Hood, Mount Rainier, and Mount, Mount St. Saint Saint Helens, all within a day or so drive of each other. And that's really attraction of coming to this area, plus the Columbia River Gorge. So if you come to the Portland area, not only can you do big city stuff, but you can also do all of this mountain stuff, which it doesn't happen around us. And these volcanoes are very different than the Rockies, which is a vast collection of mountains because they rise up practically from sea level to vast heights uh, without a lot around them. And so you can see them from 90, 100 miles away on a clear day, um, and that makes them even more stunning. Would we stay in private or, or public campgrounds? Yes. Yes. We stay in both. We found that COEs with our pass, they're, they're most, economical. most economical at $9. But one of the things we found, and a lot of people say, well, we're gonna, always going to stay in, in state parks or national parks, but they are expensive also. This has been something we've been a bit surprised about is what we're having to pay for camping. In the private campgrounds, it's usually around $40 a night. But in the state parks and national parks, even boondocking it was twenty two dollars no it was eighteen dollars oh that was and that was our price no, no it was nine dollars it was nine we paid for two nights yeah right. it was eighteen dollars to boondock yeah. and in state parks uh it was thirty three dollars and frequently you have to buy the day pass for seven or eight dollars and if for they, your car and, and if they really RV. want to stick it to you they make you buy two when you're yes. like us one for the motorhome you, and Michigan. one for the car uh, well, remember in Nebraska, too, the guy yeah. said, I'm not going to charge you oh, for the second right. vehicle. Yeah. So they are not the bargain that you might imagine that they are. No. Um, state parks are certainly nicer than commercial campgrounds when it comes to elbow Spaces, room and, uh-huh. and having a little more privacy and a more natural experience. Yes. But, but they're not cheap. No. And so if you're budgeting, you need to budget, I would say, a minimum of $30 a night. Minimum. For your camping experiences, even if you're planning to stay in public campgrounds. And that's... That's a, a surprise to us. I think we're used to staying in public campgrounds for ten or twelve dollars a night, or even less. And it's certainly boondocking for eighteen. You say, "Wait a minute here! I'm supplying all the power and the water. <laughs> what, what am I being charged for? Beauty, beauty, and space. I guess I don't know, but uh, it's still worth it. We certainly enjoy it. And that's you know, well, if you multiply thirty times thirty for the monthly rate, that's nine hundred dollars a month. You got to spend on campground fees. And I always stop and look around at the cabins or lodges or hotels that I would be staying at if I wasn't in a campground, and certainly they're much, much more expensive. Yeah, and you have to buy the food and stuff, and so we definitely enjoy the camping experience, but uh, it's getting to be more and more expensive. And on a limited retiree's budget, that can, can be a problem. You know, I had a, a very interesting experience because one of our listeners took us on a nice drive in their brand new Ford truck, and it had Apple CarPlay. Something I'd never heard of. <laughs> I'd heard of it, but I'd never really used it before. We have struggled when we buy a car, or if we were to buy a new RV, would we buy it with the navigation system in it? And some and people ask us about this. You know, should I buy the navigation system? I would have said yes in the past, but I no longer would say yes. Because? There's so many good alternatives that are so much easier to use, easier to update. And this Apple Pay where he plugged... Apple. 
Apple Play, where he plugged it into his phone, which was his navigation So I'd never device. used Apple Play before, but it's way cool. And I think there's an Android version of this also, Apple Car or Android Car or something anyway. Um, but it works the same way. And you basically take a little cable and you plug your phone into the radio. And on the screen, if, you're, if your screen is, has, if you have a big screen, it displays what ordinarily would be on the phone's Display. display so you can use the maps system built into your phone and he could touch the screen on his right. truck and it would react the way you would when you touch it on your phone yes so that was way cool and you could of course play music and do other things too launch other apps so to me i would much rather do that than buy an internal navigation system however i still worry however she always says a however ladies and gentlemen <laughs> About those times when you have no phone service, because huh, then you which suddenly we did run across. would have no map service. You have that app where you can download maps right. ahead of time and, and use right. it that way. Right. But I like to have a backup. But we have a Lexus and we have a Jeep, and neither one has the GPS, GPS system that, that we would choose. By the way, we're running a Garmin and the Rand McNally. I use the Rand McNally uh, as the driver, and Martha coordinates with me by using the... Garmin. And I would say that by far and away the best system is the is the Rand McNally because one of the things that has happened is is that the Rand has has had every campground that we've stayed in. So I just push a button and away it takes us to the campground. I don't have to put in the address. And Martha has had trouble with the Garmin. It has more since I've updated it than it did the last time we uh-huh. RV, but it's always a step behind yours. And you've tried to put in some of the addresses of the campgrounds, and it wouldn't take it because it didn't know that that was a real address. Yeah. And that's and that's a major problem. Plus, uh, the Ray McNally has a second screen, which has um, – y- y- the first screen has the maps on it and your navigation. You push another little button in the lower left-hand corner, and it has a whole other screen, which has uh, your time left and percentage of the – of the trip left to go and has all sorts of statistics and how many miles you've gone, how many miles you've you've got yet to go. Things it, you shouldn't be looking at while you're driving. Oh, really? <laughs> but it's fun. Things that are nice to know, yeah. Yes, things that are nice to know. And, of course, it has RV-specific info for tunnels, tunnels and, and that sort of stuff, which the Garmin has? No. No, and occasionally the two devices differ in terms of the recommended route. And with the map on my lap, the paper map, which I oh. still have, um, I generally defer to the Garmin because I feel like it's more appropriate for a large RV. Yes, because they're the primary user, primary maker of truck car GPSs. So if you're looking to use them, uh, I, if you're looking for a new GPS, I would definitely look at the Ram McNally. I bought recently the just the standalone version without any extra stuff on it, and it's uh, working well. I like it. And a nice touch screen, 7-inch screen, which helps to have it nice and large. That's good. How great is the Mobley? It has been wonderful. I cannot <laughs> enthuse about it enough. Much better than we have ever expected. We have We've been had... streaming movies at campgrounds know. night that... after night flawlessly. I forget that I'm not at home using my... The Mobley has just been... Uh, and it's changed fast. our our internet 
preconceived notions, I guess, of, of cellular connectivity. And for 20 bucks a month, I just can't believe that we didn't have this before. But of course, you know, it wasn't we available. But, but I leave it on all the time, and we just have it on the road. And when we get to a campground, every campground we have been in, even in Dinosaur National Park, which is in the middle of nowhere, we had good mobile service good AT&T service, and thank you AT&T. That's uh, a first I never thought I would say, but we've had between 8 and 10, 12 megabit service on a regular basis. So that makes it just like we're staying at home. I download the podcasts, I update software, do everything that uh, we would do at home. It's amazing. But I would add that we have only had this experience in the Northwest, and we can't speak for oh, yeah. other parts of the country. No, right. Um, but certainly our percept- – even campground Wi-Fi has improved yes, I would greatly. Say so. as, as we complained about the fees going up, <laughs> the Wi-Fi service has improved a lot as well. I can think of times when we were on long trips where I was anxious to get home just yes. so I could use good Wi-Fi again, and I don't have that feeling well, anymore. Well, we've always been limited to 10 to 15 gigabytes a month, and – Compared to the 250 to 300 that we use at home, uh, that's a big problem. And here we have already downloaded over 50, and so we're doing, I don't know how long the mobile league will last, but it certainly is doing a, its job so far. And no configuration, nothing to do. The only thing I've done is that we have used both the Wilson cellular amplifier. We've had to use it a few times. This is something you need to pay attention to because even though the Mobley was on and working, it was slow. And as soon as I turned on the Wilson amplifier and got that connected up to the Mobley, which of course is a wireless connection, the speeds would increase three or four times. So it depends on how close you are to the tower, and by turning on the amplifier, the Mobley thinks that it's closer to the tower so that the signal is stronger. So you might want to consider getting yourself an amplifier. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you, even, you understood that? Yes. Oh, could you turn it on if it's you need to? because I experienced it. <laughs> right. So we suddenly see an increase in speeds when we turn on the amplifier. And we have used the Wi-Fi Rogue a few times, which is the amplifier for the Wi-Fi. This has uh, really changed our lifestyle when we're on the road. Made it even more home-like. Made it even more, yes. We enjoy having the capability to do the, the Internet as we see fit. And... For 20 bucks a month. And you're not going to have to fret and stew about how to put up this podcast at the end of the month, and as I, you have had to on previous trips. Yeah. it's so, we. I don't think we missed the satellite internet at all. No. But I think we tr- transitioned at a good time when we There we were more alternatives yeah. that are affordable. Yeah. But I was afraid we'd get out here and we'd go to the Dinosaur National Park and there would be Nothing. no service at Nothing. all. Yeah. And... <sighs> It's been like lightning out here. So there's been a great fury in the Apple world as Apple does their introduction of the Apple iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. Are there in two September. eights? What? Aren't there two eights? Two eights as well as a bunch of others. So for those of you who don't know, we have, and maybe you want to take advantage of this, we went to Apple directly and bought our phones on contract, a two-year contract where we pay monthly with the option of being able to get a brand new phone every year by extending our contract by a year. And they also threw in Apple Care, the insurance right. that is very handy if you um, drop your phone or do something else so stupid to it. So in December, we have the option of upgrading our phones to either the iPhone 8 or the iPhone 10. 
and it will cost us nothing. It will cost you more if you go no. to the ten because you're paying per oh, month. Oh yes, yes, it'll pay. Yes, the ten will cost me just a teeny bit more. I'm not sure it's worth it. Is the finance committee vote? Uh, How's the finance committee voting? Dubious. He looks in her eyes. Dubious. He throws a kiss to her. <laughs> it made it more convincing. <laughs> what does it? What will it take for the finance committee to? Oh, the finance committee is dubious. Looking down. Dubious. <laughs> Why? Don't you want facial recognition? No. Don't you want to do AR? No. Don't you want to have a phone that has an OLED screen? I don't really notice the difference, even on the you TV. Would, you haven't seen it. Even on the TV. No, you're kidding. No. So which phone will you get? I might just stay with what I have. Really? I might. <sighs> what, what am I getting out of the 8 that I need? Speed. You're getting the bionic chip. <laughs> I don't go that fast. <laughs> but the things you do do need speed. No, you're not going to upgrade? I didn't say that. I'm still in need of more facts that will tip me over the edge. Glass screen, wireless charging. I'm not sure that's important either. So where does that leave me? <laughs> Arguing with the finance committee. <laughs> oh, is the finance committee going to have it next year? Oh. Finance committee? <laughs> We'll have to see. It has to be worth the money. As with everything that I buy, yeah, it has to be worth it. Can you afford it? Yes. But, and is it worth is it? Is it worth it? Yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this discussion, ladies and gentlemen. To be continued. Right, we don't have to make a decision until December, and the iPhone ten is not even introduced at the moment, so we will have to just wait and see how the Finance Committee feels a little bit later. <laughs> To be continued. That one of our listeners had uh, e-bikes. E-bikes. Spoke and, very and they were they, yes, and spoke they spoke very I, enthusiastically about them. Actually, that's the second visitor we've met this summer. That's right. Because the one who right. visited right. us at home had an e-bike too. And we would like to have e-bikes. No, I don't know. The, These people were not lazy and unfit. They, I mean, they liked to ride and ride extensively. It gave them more range. Yes. And they bought them and in Europe and they used them as touring bikes in Europe and their approach made some sense to me. Plus, they saved money buying them over there and by the time they imported them back here, they were used and they didn't have to pay duty. They had done a lot of good research and it made and sense to they, me. I was surprised that there are different kinds of e-bikes. Lots of choices. Well, yeah. I mean, in addition to the different companies, but there's two basic styles and they had very uh, strong feelings about uh, the the style that doesn't have a throttle and has the motor in the crank. For balance, right? Well, it was lower, and then you'd shift or just it had a shifter in the back as you would with a regular bike. But he said these bikes uh, were – this was a much better style way of, of having an e-bike rather than having the motor in the hub of the rear wheel. So I'll take his word for that. And uh, he recommended the high bikes, H-A-I bikes. Um, and I would like to see one to ride it. But I have not had that opportunity yet, and I may not. But they've come down in price dramatically. But they're still and they expensive. get 40 or 50 miles of riding out of it. And he said there's some that are collapsible, which is important to me, too. They did? He did. Um, really? Because, because I don't the, want to store them that's outside. The one, that's they're the one expensive. thing that keeps me from buying it is they're the fact expensive. that I can't get it in the back. You can't keep it up. You can't lay it on at all. I would be afraid somebody would walk off with it. 
Well, you have to have it chained Or ride off with it. Right. Well, but you, the cool thing about it is if you take the control, they can't ride it. They can ride it like a bike. No. Not at all. I don't think so. I think if the bike would lock up. Anyway, so there are some definite safety features that are built in. But I have to also add that we have another friend who borrowed his son's e-bike and took a spill with it and has had extensive cranial surgery because it caused Jeez. a brain bleed. I mean, the incision that he had went from stem to stern in his scalp. I don't know the scary details about that, but um, I know with an e-bike you could ride faster, and if I ride faster, I'm less safe. So that's... Well, you don't have to ride. And that's the nice thing about the e-bike with the motor and the crank is, is that you have to be pedaling because it has no throttle. So you tend to go slower, I would think. To me, the main, main advantage I see is that it increases your range. Um, well, and, far and, you and less effort going up hills that you might not expect. And out here, hills are obviously a factor that yeah. I don't have to deal with at home. Um, and if I was going to do a lot of riding out here... That might push me over the edge. Primarily, I ride a bike for the exercise. Yes, but you do, these bikes you get exercise too. But you can go farther and see more. But I don't have to spend $6,000 to do it. Once again, the finance committee will have to meet. <laughs> <laughs> finance committee. I mean, when, when I heard their story Please. about being in Europe and, and staying in cute little towns and riding around the countryside... Uh, and extending their range and seeing more, because I, I like to see more. Yeah, but we have another friend who does it on his r- road bike and has, you know, Drex does the same thing on his regular bike. I mean, with, we his could mu- do it. with his muscles. Well, we could, yeah, we he's, could do it. He's fitter than I am. We could do that. We could do that, too. But I think at our age, it might be nice to have a little bit of assistance to make your bike go better. Mm, I'm not convinced. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be one e-bike and one regular bike <laughs> in our future. And one phone, iPhone X and one iPhone 8. Or 7. Or 7. We have an article this month. How much does it cost to live in an RV? To me, that's a very tough question to quantify. And we're going to put the link up to this article which maintains, I assume what they're saying is that it costs you an extra $10,000 a year to RV as opposed to living at home. Is that what that's saying? I guess so. Because you surely can't live on an RV for $10,000 a year in and of itself. Um, It's so much as a matter of what you do with your time. And we have found that $900 a month for campground fees is probably a pretty much what a we minimum. should expect if you multiply 30 times 30 that's what you're going to get for that and that seems to be reasonable unless you're just going to stay someplace for a long time i'm a little surprised that people who <laughs> stay in one place for 12 months out of the year consider themselves to be full-timers if they live in an rv Full-timing to me means I move around. Traveling. Traveling. So there's basic differences in the expenses that you're going to have if you stay stationary. And there'll be a whole different set of expenses if you're moving, like we do. And if I was planning a trip to save money as opposed to going to world-famous places that I've always heard about and wanted to see. Um, But that's our thing to me. if you weren't camped right next to Rocky Mountain National Park, you could spend less money than we did when we were there if you stayed in Nebraska or something like that. And this is one of the things that surprised me about the volunteers at the national parks. They're actually paying to be volunteer. volunteer. Because volunteering means that they get no real benefits from being volunteers at the national parks other than the satisfaction of 
working for a national park. And being in a beautiful setting. They had to pay for everything. everything. They got really nothing, no compensation whatsoever. And they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I thought you would have to a number of people done this. We had or... another friend who was uh, in the Tetons. And they... I thought they got their campsite paid for. Really? Well, they'll have to tell us. Yeah. That's more my expectation of that kind of volunteering. But certainly the folks we met at Estes Park paid for everything themselves and volunteered. And have been doing it for 20 years. Two days a week. Yeah. Yeah, they don't work, they don't do it a lot. Uh But but still, it's uh, it's an ongoing expense. Certainly there are many folks who think about having a lot of time on their hands after they retire and what are they going to do and feeling useful and helpful and being in a beautiful place. And in her case, she was using her nursing skills yet in her volunteering. There are a lot of advantages to that that are not tangible, right, right, monetary. Right, exactly. um, but I was surprised that they had to pay for everything. I would assume that uh, if you were volunteering that they would give you a campsite for, at least for free, but they were staying in Estes Park and found it kind of expensive to stay there. So if you before you volunteer, make sure that you're not Check paying to volunteer. Check out the fine details. <laughs> Check out the fine details. Because most campgrounds, if you're a work camper at a campground, will provide you with, as we've seen many places, the campground in Estes Park had work campers that were staying there. That but they were, were working. They, they, ch- they checked us in and cleaned the bathrooms. And they had, obviously, they had campsites provided and probably got paid in a salary, too. But I was left with the impression that even those low-pay, no-pay volunteer jobs in popular places you had to apply for and be interviewed, and you couldn't just go do it. Yeah. They were selected. Um, so that's something that you would need to research more. Yeah. We always have questions about traveling to Alaska, and if you look back at our podcast from 2012, you'll find that we did uh, an extensive Alaska trip between May and September, we still get lots of questions about Alaska. And when you say, oh, why don't you go to Alaska in your RV, people kind of reel back in terror and say, I couldn't drive those roads. And the roads were fine. We found You just couldn't go fast in some places. The camping facilities were fine. The repair facilities were fine. It's just a long way. The biggest problem with the roads in Alaska is not gravel. There are actually very few gravel roads that you would ordinarily drive on. I'm sure there are lots of gravel roads, but that the RVs would travel on. And the biggest problem is frost heaves, and that's something we don't encounter down in this part of the country in the lower 48. And a frost heave is where the mm, – probably not technically getting this The ground this right. freezes and thaws and buckles the pavement. Well, it's because of the permafrost. Right. And the the pavement buckles, and there will be a, <laughs> a speed bump <laughs> that was not uh, – intended to be there in the middle of a bunch of them in the middle of the road and so it'll become very rough and it's not obvious as you're driving on the road so they can come up on you rather unexpectedly and it can bottom out your your suspension suddenly so the the real key to that is don't drive fast so 45 50 miles an hour is a reasonable speed and once you're in alaska the distances are quite reasonable I would say the part, the hardest part of driving to Alaska was getting there through the <laughs> getting, Yukon. Getting Those, getting to Alaska. That it's, was more remote and less developed. For us, Seattle is halfway to Alaska, which is hard to believe from Chicago. You've got 2,000 miles to drive after you get 
into Canada. And when I'm thinking about frost heaves, I think the closest you would come down here is if you um, have a big tree and it buckles the sidewalk and uh-huh. the roots kind of come up. Uh-huh. It's, it's that kind of look that you would be encountering. But in terms of campgrounds, and you can camp virtually anywhere, so if you like to boondock for free, you can do that. The fuel prices, the diesel prices are much more reasonable than the gas prices because some everybody, the big trucks all use diesel. And we found the prices outside of Canada to be quite reasonable. Um, and food is reasonable. There was lots of fresh vegetables and things because they have lots of truck farms in the summer. I, I would say everything was slightly more expensive, but anything that I wanted to buy was readily available. That's and there more are big, how I would There are big it. grocery stores. There's no problem buying stuff. And there's a, there's a community of people that uh, will help you out if you need help. Uh, we found the Alaskans to be very helpful. And a lot of really interesting places. Of any place that we've ever camped, there, there are more scenic places to visit. And as we compare Rocky Mountain National Park, and we found, oh, this is kind of small. That's in comparison to the many huge parks and the small number of people in Alaska. Um, it's a huge area and well, there are crowded places, but they're not crowded like they are in our national parks here in the lower 48. So we would highly recommend that you take a trip to Alaska if you have enough time. Do not do it for just two weeks. Or fly up there, avoiding the Yukon, and rent an RV. Um, That would be more practical, too, I think. Yes, that would be quite practical. And understand that there are vast areas of Alaska that you cannot drive to. Taking a cruise to Alaska is a very different experience than driving in Alaska because you can go to places like Juneau, which is landlocked and has no access from the land. Even though it's the capital of the state. Capital of the state. I would, as a rule, avoid the, the cities. I didn't find Juneau, Fairbanks, or Anchorage. Uh, Anchorage to be very interesting. I would. This is going to be kind of heretical, but I'm going to say that I would avoid uh, Denali National Park. Uh, I would go to Talkeetna instead because uh, Denali is virtually inaccessible unless you plan months in advance and can take that uh, that lodge right down by the in the base of um, Denali. So the only way to access Denali National Park is in a school bus. And then if you want to, you can hike from that where it stops. And the ride into the park on the school bus takes a long time. It's dusty, so you look out the window and you can hardly see anything. If you do see an animal, it's far away. And if you ask the driver to stop, which they will, by then you're past the animal and you don't see it anymore. The mountain itself is very difficult to see because it's socked in with rain clouds most of the time. I think they said three days a month it came out in the summer. Um, So we found it to be a disappointing experience both times that yes, we went yes, there. Yes, yes, yes. And so I would definitely... I, <laughs> it's one of those places you always hear about and you think you should go there, but... Yeah, and it is... We would have found they, the time better tour, spent Tours talk it up, but I think you'll find much more interesting things to do in other places. So that's our take on Alaska. If you have more questions, please uh, feel free to talk to us. We will be more than happy to share our experiences or go back and listen to the podcast where we spent... About a day and a half in Denali, which was minimal considering we were there for six weeks. Plenty. Plenty. 
the, we've already touched on the myth about how terrible the roads are there. You always hear about bugs. There oh, yeah. must be some because you always hear about it. But both of the summers that we spent there, I can't remember getting no. a single mosquito bite. I never wore a head and, net. And that, Maybe I was in the wrong places. I don't know. But No, in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was not a problem. So it's time to start planning now. Buy your Mile Post magazine, which takes you mile by mile through all the highways and tells you exactly what's there. A great resource. And then uh, plan your trip to Alaska, but leave early and come home late because it will be a full summer if you can, if you can do it. I would say not less than a month. Well, depending on where you're driving from. Of course, we were driving from Chicago. If you're driving from here in the Pacific Northwest, then you don't need quite as much time. But the roads through Canada are good, too. I mean, I we had a great time in Banff and Jasper and Beautiful. all the way up through uh, Canada. So it's not like you're driving 2,000 miles without having anything to see or without any great scenery. You'll see tons of animals, especially if you go in the spring. You will not see them in Denali. <laughs> we saw them just... Although they're the there. You just oh, yeah. won't see them. Yes, and I think they avoid all the crowds too on a more commercial topic i was not surprised to see that camping world has earned a dubious (laughs) distinction in august as the second most complained about company in pissedconsumer.com sounds like a great website pissed p-i-s-s-e-d uh-huh a customer driven evaluation site According to the statistics reviewed, there were some 1,845 reviews with reports of only 12 issues resolved oh. and claims of 6.4 million in losses. The Camping World Reviews page on the site has been accessed about 300,000 times, so obviously the interest is there, and includes a video from a very disgruntled con- customer. From my perspective, I like stopping at Camping <laughs> World to buy things, even though they are vastly overpriced. Uh, they're a nice collection of RV items that you might need or might not have seen anywhere else. All these days you can look at them there and then go on Amazon and buy them. Right. Anytime we've had any kind of work done on any of our rigs, and I'm going back a number of years now, we have ranged from less than satisfied to ready to write a review on com. So... (laughs) It's kind of been a shock to me how they have taken over the RV landscape. I mean, well, in terms of sales, they are right, very aggressively going out and and buying RV dealerships and turning them into Camping World subsidiaries. We don't want to really bash too many places, but this is an interesting article. It, it kind of jives with our own experience. We haven't been to a Camping World in well over a year and a half I, right. since we were in right, Florida. Right. So we don't really participate in the But yet when we when we needed a new toilet in Tucson, we went to the Camping World and they had it and we bought it. I mean, that was nice. Is that where we bought that? Yep. yep. So we have gone to Camping World. Oh, we do. Um, I'm more reluctant to have them do anything to uh-huh. my rig. That's more. So you're not reluctant to have your husband do no. anything to the rig? <laughs> and as I recall, we watched a video that said that we could install the toilet in 20 minutes. And two months later, you were still oh, yes. wrestling with it. And that's not being critical of you. Well, we won't go into that again. One other thing I wanted to talk about. This seems to have been a very... Let's get off the toilet. (laughs) Bad news month in terms of natural disasters. Um, We started with our friends in Houston having the astronomical amount of rain with that hurricane. And we went to Florida where the entire state was um, under siege from a hurricane. Uh, We're watching the video of 
all the beloved islands that we have visited many times in the Caribbean and all the suffering that they have. Oh, poor Puerto are, Rico are and St. Thomas, which we loved. We were just in St. John a year ago. Ooh. And that keeps making me think about you want to do something and they always say send money and yes you can send money but in some ways we as RVers are in a unique position to go to some of these places and be helpful and I never quite know how to do that we have a very good friend who was a funeral director in his professional life and I remember his stories of going down (laughs) to Katrina and actually assisting with all the dead bodies because he had the expertise and the know-how and they lived in their RV and he could live in his RV and not stress um, the lack of facilities that were there. I'm I'm just kind of raising this topic uh, because I feel like I would like to know Uh more about it. I always feel like I would like to be able to do more. Um, Certainly my skills are limited in in that area, but I did hear about an organization called the RV Caravanners, which are affiliated with Habitat for Humanity. And we're going to put a link up to the website that they have where they have kind of a schedule. I think it went four months out of places where they were oh, really? gathering RVers who would help with building new uh-huh. houses as uh-huh. Habitat does. And when I looked at the places they were going, they were primarily in Florida and Texas, uh-huh. which made well, some sense, sense to me, yeah. although they go other places as well. And it looked like it was very well organized in that they said how many people they needed and some of the uh-huh. opportunities were already full that uh-huh. they had enough uh-huh. people signed up to go there. So I wanted to make those of you with better carpentry skills than I have um, aware of that opportunity if you would like to do that and just kind of generally ask the question about do you guys know other things that our viewers can do besides send money to help the people in our country who are are suffering so and then all the forest fire people too i mean there's been a lot of bad news yeah, this month yeah, it's really heartbreaking a lot of people displaced and so i, I wanted to raise that topic well that's good i think that's a, a good way to end our podcast for the month we will Today is kind of a zero day for us, meaning that as we, the rain keeps as falling, the rain down. keeps falling. So thank you for sharing uh, a little bit of time with us this month. And if you're in a campground near us, we are headed south from here. We'll be headed to hopefully Crater Lake if it's not snowed in. Forecast is good. And we'll be there in the next week or so. And then we'll head down to Mono yes. Lake and, and Yosemite. If well, it's we don't still know there. about Yosemite right now because. <laughs> Although they say it's still open. Oh, and if Lassen, it's still there. Lassen, too. Another volcano. Lassen. You know, we're doing a lot of moving. We've stayed uh, in no campground more than four nights since we left in uh, early September. And that's kind of an unusual experience for us. This next month, we will be traveling about the same amount of time. Same pace. Same pace. But then we head to uh, Las Vegas, where we will leave the motorhome for December, and then we'll be headed to Tucson for a couple of months, January, February, and March. We will be paying top dollar for a our place, campground, our yeah. campground, to, to stay in there. But if you're in those areas, uh, let us know, and we will be more than happy to make accommodation and meet you at uh, some convenient location, have dinner, spend the day, and uh, get to know one another, So because that's what the RVing experience is about. So with that said, we will end it for the month and we will say hope to see you in a campground near us in the not too distant future. Seriously. And have a wonderful time getting there. Happy travels. Ah, uh, now for the rain. Let's look outside and watch this guy park his motorhome in the rain. Ooh. Yeah. It's kind of Don't the we northwest miss that cold northwest rain that it's coming down. Yep. See ya.